Hey, I'm Casey. And I'm Lauren. And this is... Magnum B.I., the true crime podcast where we add a little bit of a social justice commentary, a little bit of comedy, just to kind of get through the material. Yeah. It's going to be a little heavy. Lighten the mood. Uh-huh. Magnum B.I. Magnum B.I. Magnum B.I. And we're back for episode three. <laughs> that was completely <laughs> improv, I want to say. We did not plan that. We're literally just on the same wavelength. <laughs> Oh, I'm really excited about this week's episode, because last week's was kind of heavy, even though that was entirely my fault. It was so, I literally, and I'm not exaggerating, I thought about it all week. (laughs) (laughs) Did you really? I really, I, I, so for our listeners, I'm a server at a Red Lobster restaurant. Mm -hmm. and Not sponsored. Not sponsored, not even close to being sponsored. (laughs) And every time I served alcohol, I thought about that, that insane awful man <laughs> that you told me about last week gilbert paul jordan gilbert paul what was his first last name his first last name was elsie i, I want to call him elsie i feel like the jordan he doesn't deserve that <laughs> he really doesn't he really doesn't he's he's a nasty little man he was the grossest little man yeah, so i'm i'm hoping that this week is a little more lighthearted. i don't know if i can take another boozing barber well there is a lot less murder okay, i'll say good. that much in fact there <laughs> might be zero murder potentially oh really yeah so this is a really interesting psychological and sociological case study about Iceland in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of police negligence and police abuse. Mm-hmm. Today, we're going to be talking about the Reykjavik Confessions. Let's get into it. So our story starts in Reykjavik, Iceland in 1974. Okay. Um, Reykjavik is Iceland's capital and Mm -hmm. largest city. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1974, when this takes place or begins, um, Iceland had a population of about, the entire country of Iceland, had a population of about 218,000 people. So for context, Rochester, New York... (laughs) currently has a population of 206,000. So just like a few thousand less than the entire country of Iceland. Are you serious? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Iceland's huge, right? It's like big. Bigger than Rochester. Yeah, significantly, (laughs) yeah. But then I also have in my notes, imagine if the entire population of Rochester was on a Nordic island. Oh, oh my God. (laughs) That's a reality show. That would be crazy. Yeah, just waiting to happen. Uh Um, So in Iceland, because it's so small... At this time, there's 218,000 people. Everyone knows everyone, Mm -hmm. um, especially because the majority of the population is concentrated in very few communities across the southern coast. Right. Um, I watched a really good documentary about this case called Out of Thin Air. It's a 2017 documentary. And throughout it, they kept referring to Iceland as the village of Iceland. Oh. Because it feels like a village. It's just so small. A lot of people are related. Uh It feels like a big family. Oh, this is giving me, like, Roanoke vibes. Yeah. No. Ooh. Uh, Okay. It's like a little culty, I guess. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Okay. So some fun Iceland facts. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Go. Go for it. Um, If you abide by speed limits, you can drive the perimeter of the entire island in less than two days. What? Yeah. 
What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Couldn't do that in Rochester. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> um, some of it, Iceland has some of the most active volcanoes in the world. Ooh. Um, Iceland has the most writers per capita of anywhere in the world. Oh, my God, Casey, you should move there. Right. I mean, <laughs> kind of my calling. But, uh-huh. Um, one in ten Icelandic people will publish a book. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. That's an incredible ratio. I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. Historically, because Iceland has such long and dark winters, storytelling became a really important and treasured part of their culture. Oh, that I, that's makes like fascinating. Sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, and surnames mm-hmm. are not passed down between generations like they are in most Western cultures. Right. Um, but the ch- the child's surname is their father's first name with either son or daughter afterwards. Huh. So, like for instance, if a man named Eagle mm-hmm. had a son named Gunner, mm-hmm. the son's full name would be Gunner Eagleson. Oh, oh yeah. that makes sense why there's so many Nordic names that are like Ericsson yeah. or something no, like that. No, because that's it, yeah. Oh, cool. Or if Eagle had a daughter named Helga, the daughter's full name would be Helga Eagle Daughter, Eagle's Daughter. Like that? Just like that? Yeah, just huh. like that. Okay. Pronounced exactly how I said it. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> <laughs> Which leads me into my disclaimer. Mm-hmm. Um, Icelandic names will almost certainly be pronounced incorrectly here. <laughs> and I'm sorry to our fervent Icelandic fan base. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> but also, uh, small trigger warning, this episode isn't super trigger heavy, but there are many instances of police negligence and abuse, mm-hmm. um, and there is a mention of a suicide attempt for okay. the end. So just keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this time, and currently, Iceland has and had a very low crime rate. Okay. Um, they have the lowest murder rate in Europe. Mm-hmm. Only one person was killed on the island, was murdered on the island in 2019. Oh, wow. And a, a weird little fact, according to Statista.com, where I got some a lot of this, the data, mm-hmm. um, Iceland has 666 police officers. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, oh! Man, we're really setting the tone for the police negligence, aren't mm-hmm, we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Sense. So... This case is a really interesting both psychological study and sociological study. Okay. I, like, want to write a paper about it. I think mm. it's the, the society aspect here is so fascinating. But uh-huh. back to 1974. Right. Two men in Iceland mysteriously disappear. Okay. The first man, his name is Gumindur Einarsson. Okay. And he's 18 years old. Okay. Gumindur has long brown hair, pale skin, and is described as calm and quiet. Mm-hmm. He had just graduated high school and had hopes of becoming a mechanic. Okay. Um, on January 26, 1974, Gumindur and some friends went to a nightclub about, about six miles outside of Reykjavik. Mm-hmm. After getting drunk, he started walking home. At 2 a.m., two women spotted Gumindur on the side of the road trying to catch a ride. Mm-hmm. He was with a small man in a yellow shirt. Um, the man in the yellow shirt threw himself over the hood of these women's car. Um... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and they were startled. Yeah. So they drove off. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, obviously. <laughs> uh-huh. And now the interesting thing about that fact is that in a lot of my research, no one mentioned that. Only a few articles mentioned that. What? That there was a weird guy in a yellow shirt? Who threw himself over the hood of a car. Hmm. Yeah. Seems strange. Yeah. But within the next hour, Gumindur was seen again, still trying to find a ride, still on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And after that, Gumindur has never been seen. 
Oh, okay. His father contacted the police the next morning. Again, Guminder is 18. Right. But contacted the police the next morning um, because it was not like Guminder did not return home. Mm-hmm. Um, but the weather being January in Iceland made the search very difficult and oh. they had no luck. Oh, God. Yeah. About 10 months later, mm-hmm. November 19th, 1974, 30, a two, 32-year-old construction worker named Gerfner Anderson mm-hmm. is at home with a friend watching TV. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the same last name because we, we talked about how they get their last names, right. but um, Guminder and Gerfner were not related. Mm-hmm. Um, Gerfner lives in Keflavik, which is about a 45-minute drive to Reykjavik. Mm-hmm. Around 10 a.m., or sorry, 10 p.m., um, Gerfner and his friend leave the house to meet someone at a cafe. Okay. On the way there, Gerfner tells his friend that he, quote, should have brought a gun to the meeting. Um, okay. What if I said, what if you gave me a ride to, like, <laughs> Denny's and I was like... <laughs> I should have brought my Glock to Denny's. <laughs> we Glocked up. Yeah, but uh, why? And he didn't say anymore. Oh. Gerfner just said, I should have brought my gun to this meeting. And this is the 70s, right? 74. Like, literally... Okay, why Why would you need to bring a gun? Okay. In the safest country, crime-wise, in Europe. Okay, yeah. I don't like that. Nope. <laughs> they arrived at the cafe, and whoever Gerfner was supposed to meet didn't show. Mm-hmm. So, Gerfner returns home, and once he's back home, he receives a phone call. Mm-hmm. His son answers the phone and doesn't recognize the man on the other end of the line. He gives the phone to Gerfner, and Gerfner says, quote, I've already came. I'm coming. Gerfner leaves again, this time by himself. Hmm. The next day, Gerfner's car is found abandoned near the cafe, and his keys are still in the ignition. Oh. And he's never been seen since. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess he should have brought the gun. Goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> he said I needed to bring my Glock. Jeez. Okay. Um, the identity of the man on the phone is still unknown. Uh-huh. Um, his son didn't recognize the voice. Search uh, search teams of dogs and divers mm-hmm. came up empty. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike Gumander, um, the 18-year-old who disappeared when he was trying to find a ride home, mm-hmm. um, foul play was suspected in Gorfner's disappearance because of the strange phone call and the comment about the gun. Yeah. Um, again, they're only 10 months apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, police reported seeing an unidentified man on a payphone near the cafe. And a clay sculpture of this unknown man was created. The clay sculpture circulated around Iceland and became national news, but the man who called Gerfner was never found. So was that like like a police composite sketch, except they carved it out of clay? Yes. That's You can crazy. see pictures online, yeah. What? Oh my god, wait, I'm gonna look that up. Hold and on. it's essentially like, uh, it looks like any man mm-hmm. in the world. Like, there is no like discerning feature to this man is just like a a normal white man made out of clay (laughs) Hmm. um so we are now going to be moving into something totally unrelated Mm -hmm. a woman named erla now erla was born in reykjavik in 1955 she was blonde and petite and very outgoing she moved around a lot in her youth and lived in the U.S. for some time before returning to Iceland. Mm-hmm. Um, Erla experienced a traumatic event in her childhood, and afterwards she started acting out, smoking cigarettes, and stealing small things. Mm-hmm. Um, Erla was very much influenced by the youth movements of the U.S. and elsewhere, mm-hmm. and was sort of like a hippie adjacent. Okay. 
Okay. And this is like a theme that, again, I said this is like a really interesting sociological study that'll come up again. Mm-hmm. Um, at a party in 1973, Erla is smoking weed and drinking Coca-Cola. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. If that's not the night. The modern woman. <laughs> the modern hippie woman. <laughs> I love that. Um, so Erla, after dr- drinking this Coca-Cola and smoking weed, starts to feel strange. And okay. she realizes that someone, the modern woman, <laughs> laced her drink with LSD. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. At a house party. Wow. She's like, you know what? I've been I've been here before. I know what this is. Yeah, she's walked to this <laughs> room. Um, so she hides in a corner, mm-hmm. <laughs> feeling really strange, uh-huh. where she's confronted by a man named Saivar. Okay. Now, Saivar was a small man with shoulder-length brown hair, quote, Slavic eyes, <laughs> Hmm. And a mysterious presence and strong opinions. He sounds kind of like our guy from the first disappearance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Her, yeah. Um, he was raised in Iceland, yep. but his father was Polish. Okay. And growing up, he always felt and was made to feel like an outsider because of this. Okay. Um, he grew up very poor. Mm-hmm. And after committing a series of small crimes throughout his youth, he was enrolled in a reform school. Mm-hmm. Um, Saivar is significantly older than Erla. Mm-hmm. While Erla's tripping, Saivar tries to calm her down. Um, while they're talking, they talk about politics and their views on life. Erla felt like she had met, quote, one of the most incredible human beings ever. Hmm. She said, quote, after that night, this is, by the way, this is like, I want this. Uh-huh. She said, quote, after that night, there was no other way to go forward but together. Oh, Oh, that's so sweet. And when you add (laughs) the element of, like, she's tripping and it's 1974 and he's older than her, this is, like, a Lana Del Rey song. Oh, yeah. She's, like, seeing the tie-dye, feeling the Stevie Nicks fantasy. She's like, that's it? I found my soul partner. She's like, this man has Slavic eyes (laughs) and I want him. I need him. (laughs) I need this Polak. (laughs) I'm I'm part Polish, by the way. Um... So they were kind of a perfect match. Yep. Um, they'd both been troublemakers. They both experienced traumatic events in their youth that led them to act out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they began dating. Ooh. Erla's parents felt that she shouldn't be with Saivar mm-hmm. because he was dangerous and was a known drug dealer. Okay. Um, they actually stopped speaking to her because oh. of her relationship with Saivar. Oh, wow. So she was like ostracized from her family. And that's heavy. Yeah. Mm. Saivar was known to smuggle marijuana into Iceland. That was like one of his gigs. <laughs> oh no! I know. <laughs> Not Which weed. now you look at it and you're like, ah, <laughs> that's so funny. I know. He definitely had a hold on her. However, uh-huh. um, law enforcement knew Saivar and his friends, mm-hmm. and they knew that they were dangerous and destructive kind of kids. Okay. Um, once they were dating, Saivar became obsessed with committing the perfect crime. And he would constantly talk to Erla about how he wanted to commit the perfect crime and get away with it. This is, okay, now I know why her parents are like, maybe you shouldn't hang out with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> They're like... <laughs> Mother's intuition. Yeah. Oh my god, okay. Um, the two start embezzling money from Erla's job at a telephone company. Okay. Um, so they would tamper with the phones um, to make it look like they were commit, they were calling long distance numbers, which cost more money, mm-hmm. and then they would charge the company this non-existent fee for the long distance calls, oh. which is kind of smart. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, and then they would collect the money themselves. Mm-hmm. They stole close to a million krona, mm-hmm. which adjusted for inflation 
um, and adjusted to U.S. dollars would be about 700,000 U.S. dollars today. Holy shit. Yeah. So <laughs> a good amount of money. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, on September 24th, 1975, Erla and Saivar went on to have a daughter. Mm-hmm. Both were very excited to be parents, both Arla and Saivar. Mm-hmm. Erla was only 20 years old. Okay. But she said that she was fully ready to devote her life to a child. What's the age gap between these two? I don't know for sure. Okay. I'm sure I could find it. I don't know for sure. I, It could be as much as 11 years. Uh, okay. I see. Uh, yeah. Whether okay. or not that's accurate, I don't know. But that I saw that in one source. Mm-hmm. So it's significant. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm starting to be Team Erla's parents. Get away from this weird, creepy guy. <laughs> get away from Saivar. Yeah. Um, so she's ready to be a mother. Both of them even Saivar are genuinely very excited to have this baby. Okay. Um, Erla told Saivar that she wanted to stop committing crimes and she mm-hmm. wanted to live a normal family life. Mm-hmm. She's going to change him. Oh, of course. She's going to fix him. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> um, however, yep. in December of 1975, 11 weeks, 11 weeks after their daughter is born, okay. they're arrested for embezzlement. Oh, ouch. That really sucks. And she has an 11-week-old baby. Oh, God. Um, Erla said in the documentary, Erla was, was interviewed throughout the documentary. She said, quote, when they came to arrest me, they surrounded this big building like they were arresting terror- terrorists. Um, this says something also about, again, the political climate in Iceland at the time, where mm-hmm. something in the U.S., like a white-collar crime like this, would probably, you know, not go under the radar, but it would just be like, whatever. Yeah, it's another day. It's another day. <laughs> this was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, after being arrested, mm-hmm. they were put, and before they were questioned, they were put separately in solitary confinement. Okay. Now, some things about solitary confinement. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Oof. According to the American Psychological Association, um, solitary confinement can cause panic attacks, depression, paranoia, and hallucinations. Yep. It makes some incarcerated people unable to reconnect with the outside world after they're released. Yep. And it makes them fearful of other human beings once they finally make contact. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, even if you were released from solitary and put back in the general population, mm-hmm. you would be afraid of these people that you knew. Mm-hmm. Um, it astronomically increases the likelihood of self-harm and suicide. Oh. Sensory deprivation in this way can lead to permanent changes in the makeup of the brain. Oh, my God. And recently, the United Nations have banned solitary confinement for periods of more than 15 days. Wow. So it's a literal form of torture. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like, you know, not that I, you know, have ever experienced solitary confinement, but just in my day-to-day life, like, if I'm sitting here in my room relaxing, I'll have, like, the TV going, I'll be watching a TikTok, I'll be doing my homework. Mm-hmm. Like, I simply can... texting can't... a friend. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. I simply cannot imagine complete silence with nothing to do for that long other than think. Yep. As a mentally ill person to begin with. Yep. Not good. And, Not and, good. And, and one room without windows, Ugh. with an uncomfortable bed, you're showering, you're using the bathroom, you're doing all this in one room. Mm-hmm. I think if you gave me a phone and a comfortable bed <laughs> and a TV, I uh-huh. would be fine for like five days. Yeah. But then I would need to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. And you can't even. We are human. We, humans are social creatures. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, mm-hmm. both Saivar and Erla denied the embezzlement. 
Um, when they weren't being questioned by the police, each were kept in solitary, mm-hmm. and the police threatened to keep Erla in solitary indefinitely if she did not confess. Oh my god, I can't... 11 weeks after having a baby. Yep. Oh my god, I would be going insane. I don't even like kids. But like, <laughs> if I had like literally just given birth to a child and being separated from them like that so traumatically, I would be going psycho crazy. You have a newborn. Yeah. You're still lactating. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot, like that's a baby. Yeah, your, your body and your mind are still healing from number one, the trauma of birth, and then number two, having your baby basically ripped out of your arms yeah. in such a traumatic way. I cannot imagine. No, I genuinely can't. I cannot imagine. Ugh. And she was there for six days. Oh, my God. Um, And she's 20 years old. <laughs> oh, my God. She's younger than us. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah. that's horrible. Mm-hmm. Oh, my um, God. On December 19th, after six days in solitary and constant questioning, <sighs> mm-hmm. the police told Erla something about Saibar. According to the police, mm-hmm. Saivar insisted that Erla was solely responsible for the embezzlement. So the police told Erla that Saivar insisted he was not involved. It was all her do- all his- all her doing. She mm. did everything on her own. Um, Saivar had cheated on Erla in the past, but she could never imagine that he would betray her this badly. Yeah, I probably I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I would trust the cops right off the bat. Yeah. But that's that would be very damaging to hear, especially, yeah. you know, all those other factors taken into consideration. And he's the father of your kid. Oh, God. And then also after six days in solitary, they tell her this. She just wants to go to her baby. Yeah, she just wants to get out of there. <laughs> she, she just wants to get to out. Um, so after she learns about this betrayal, she confesses to the embezzlement. Oh, my God. And Erla told them everything, not just about their fraud, but mm-hmm. about all of Saivar's involvements with drugs mm-hmm. and everything else. Wow, she, oh man, they got her. They got her. Shit. Um, After Erla was confessed, she was released. Okay. The police said, oh, by the way, do you know a man named Gumander Anerson? Oh, 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 we're circling right back around. It's full circle. Okay. It's full damn circle. (laughs) Erla says, yeah, she'd met him at a party before and she remembered him as being a really nice guy. Mm Mm-hmm. But they didn't keep in contact, and they weren't—they were never close. So she didn't even know he was missing. That's so interesting. Why are they asking her about that? Mm, mm, yeah, interesting. Now it's not super weird that she knew Gumander and she knew the name because again, Iceland's a super small place. Small island. They're around the same age. He's two years younger than her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's probably one high school on the entire island, right? I'm sure. They're yeah. all in each other's business. They're like, oh, yeah, I knew Goomder and Goomder's brother and Goomder's second cousin, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And they all have the same name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean Goomder 1, Goomder 2? <laughs> um, the police press her for hours and hours and hours mm-hmm. about what she was doing on the weekend that Goomder disappeared. Right. Um, this is almost two years. has has gone by. Okay. Um, after hours of interrogation... And the previous days, six days spent in solitary confinement, Erla mentions a nightmare that she once had, which might have been on the weekend of Gumender's disappearance. Okay. Erla says that before she had this dream, she'd been out with friends. After returning home and going to sleep, Erla heard whispering voices outside of her window. Hmm. The voices were Saivar, who was legitimately out of the country at this time, um, and some of his friends. Okay. She woke up to find that she had wet the bed. And the voices weren't real. It Mm -hmm. had just been a dream. Mm -hmm. Um, The police, however, are like, no, that happened. 
excuse me? <laughs> but it was just so traumatic that your brain is making you think it was a dream. Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. How did the how did the police know that that's real? They don't. Yeah, they're, they're gaslighting <laughs> They're gaslighting What? <laughs> and they say, well, if you can't remember whether or not it was a dream, I have an idea on how we can make you remember. So they put her back in solitary. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. Absolutely not. So that's horrible. So she went from being released to go see her baby to uh-huh. going back in solitary. Oh my god. And they're like, oh yeah, we'll make you remember. Clang, doors closed, (laughs) go back to solitary. Oh, that's so fucked. So after more days and days in solitary and days and days of questioning, she replayed this nightmare in her head over and over and over. Oh my god. And Erla finally convinced herself that this dream must have been real and it must have occurred on the weekend that Gumender disappeared. Oh my god. The police write up a confession. Oh, my God. And in this confession, Erla says that she saw Saivar and two other men carry Guminder out of the house wrapped in a bedsheet. Erla signs the confession. Oh, my God. Of course she does. They put all of these words in her mouth. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is, this is giving me, well... I guess, I don't know, I guess it would be like a flash forward technically if we're going timeline wise, but that just immediately made me think of the Central Park Five again, mm-hmm. where they're like completely feeding information to children, yeah. basically. Like, this girl is younger than us. She's That's in a so really vulnerable fucked. situation and she just wants to get home. Yeah, to she see has her a baby. baby. Oh yep. my God. Um, and again, when she's not being interrogated, she's in solitary. Yep. And they've told her that she might be there indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Until she gives them the information they want. Yeah, the information that they are essentially making That they're making manipulating. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. So the police take Erla's signed confession to Saivar. Mm-hmm. He's interrogated for 16 hours over the course of two days. Oh, my 10 God. 10 hours one day, six hours the next. Oh, my God. 10 hours in interrogation. Oh. And he eventually confirms that, yeah, he w- he was involved. This is true. Hey, after 10 hours, I would probably admit to anything as long as I could get out. Just get, get out. Oh Just my God. go. Um, Saivar says that on the night that Gumender disappeared, Gumender and two other friends were at Saivar's house. Mm-hmm. They were drinking and an argument broke out, which resulted in Gumender's death. Saivar oh. then, after Gumender died, called another friend to bring his car and help. Mm-hmm. So Saivar and these three other men dismembered Gumender's body and drove it 15 miles out of town to dispose of it. Saivar names these other three accomplices as his friends Christian, Trigvi, and Albert. Um, each of these men are found, arrested, and thrown in solitary. God. Erla is released. You know, I'm I'm not exact. I'm not Team Saivar. I'm also <laughs> yeah. not team police because literally what the fuck mm-hmm. are these cops doing? There's no proof that, that Saivar and Gumender even knew each other. Of course, yeah. Like <laughs> they're just no proof. they're pulling this out of thin air. Completely. They're like, Oh, we have someone here that's a criminal. You know what else he did? Crimes probably. Yeah. <laughs> I think he did this one. <laughs> After oh my God. months of intense interrogation, broke up by solitary confinement, each of these men Saivar and the three men that he named mm-hmm. confessed to being involved in Guminder's murder. But the timeline never makes sense. Of course not. Every time the suspects were interviewed, their stories became more jumbled and bizarre. Mm-hmm. Also, Erla mentioned being awoken by voices outside her window, not drinking and hanging out with a bunch of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention Guminder, a well-behaved and quiet 18-year-old, mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have been hanging out 
with and getting in fights with and drinking with a group of older petty criminals. (laughs) Also true. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And um, between every interrogation, again, each of the suspects are kept in solitary. Jeez. Months? Months. Months? I'll get to the the, the final tolls of days later. Oh, my God. It's crazy. Oh, my God. Oh, and by the way, the police are like, hey, (laughs) what about that guy named Gerfner? Oh, my God. They're trying, oh, my God, they're trying to blame them for everything. For everything. They have these two unsolved disappearances that Mm -hmm. happened within 10 months of each other, and they're like, here, we have a group of guys we can pin them on. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. In January of 1976, Saibar gave a statement that he saw uh, Gerfner on the night of his disappearance. Mm -hmm. Meaning, again, he was not only involved in Guminder's disappearance, but Mm -hmm. also Gerfner's. Oh, my God. Saibar says that he and Gerfner were involved together in an alcohol smuggling scheme where they brought alcohol (laughs) over boats into the island. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you imagine? They're they're literally, like, I think one degree removed away from, like, Nick Cage, let's steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> Lemon like, juice. Literally. Oh, my God. Yep. Um, Saivar says that he, Erla, and Christian, who is one of the men that he he named and is in jail, yeah, yeah. met Gerfner at the cafe mm-hmm. where he disappeared mm-hmm. and then went to the docks. Okay. They took a boat out, of, out to sea where they got in an argument and Gerfner drowned. Oh. After this new confession, later that year, police also arrest another man named Gunyan, who is actually one of Saivar's uh, old teachers. So Saivar named Gunyan, who was his old teacher, as someone involved in this murder. Okay. Quote-unquote murder. So we have Goofinger. The names. <laughs> I'm, try- I'm trying so hard to keep up with this. We have Goofinger. What's the next one? There are currently, not including Erla, there are five men in, in prison okay. for these two disappearances. Mm-hmm. Erla is released at this time, yep. but there are five in prison for these two disappearances yep. with no evidence. Okay. Um. So, Erla, because Saivar says that she was involved, is arrested again. Oh, my God. <laughs> She's found in her home, and she's taken back and put in solitary again. Oh, my God. These cops are so trigger-happy with the solitary confinement mm-hmm. thing. They need, to, they need to chill. Oh, my God. So now there are six people in jail for one or both of these quote-unquote murders. Oh, my God. Erla, Saivar, Chris John, Trigvi, Albert, and Guyon. Oh, my God. But again, their stories, even after their confession, are never consistent. The timeline is always changing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For instance, sometimes uh, Griffiner's murder happened on a boat. Sometimes it happened on land. <sighs> sometimes Griffiner drowned. Sometimes he was shot. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. There's never a consistent story. This is like, this, this is one of the shoddiest cases I've heard in a minute. They're literally like copy pasting shit, trying to make it make sense. Yep, like, with zero physical evidence. Oh my God. Like a frat boy trying to write an essay off of shit he's stealing online. Like, this is just <laughs> like, okay, if I put this here and I put that there, maybe it'll make sense. It's all Wikipedia. You yeah. see the hyperlinks. <laughs> yep, exactly. You put it into, oh, you put it in a bright space to see the... The plagiarism checker. It's all red. It's just red. (laughs) Your computer just caught this fire. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is news all over Iceland. Of course. Because there are two murders that happened within 10 months. Mm -hmm. There's like a whole like, um, what's the word? Organized crime scheme. Oh, yeah. And there's a total environment of panic in Iceland. Because they're like, oh my God, they're criminals everywhere. They're all around us. And this is our good white community (laughs) where nothing bad happens. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's the village. God forbid. 
In December 1977, two years after Erla and Saivar's initial arrest for embezzlement, mm -hmm. all six suspects are found guilty of involvement in one or both of the quote-unquote murders. Oh my god. There is no physical evidence. <laughs> Many of them were given life sentences. What? But, okay, in Iceland. <laughs> what? Oh my god! This I, is super interesting. I was gonna, I feel like we missed a couple steps here. How did... Life sentence. Oh, my God. Like, okay. Because they're murders. Oh, my God. However, in in Iceland, a life sentence isn't really a life sentence. Okay. The average life sentence in Iceland is 16 years. That's okay. And oh, the okay. longest <laughs> sentence ever given in Iceland is was 20 years. Wow. Right. Okay. Okay. That does, I guess, all right. That makes a little more sense because in America, when you say life sentence, you're never fucking getting out. You're oh, dying in You're prison. dying in there or you're yeah. being killed. Like yeah. you're going to death row and yeah. you're being killed. Yeah. But that's like also, I think, an interesting like thing for like abolitionists and, and like social workers to like mm -hmm. look at is like the Iceland's model there. I think mm -hmm. that's interesting. But I mean, I think the thing that, the, and I'm, pro I'm just speaking out of my ass here, but I think the thing that they do in most like European Icelandic countries is they focus more on reform rather than incarceration yeah. because they don't like make money off of you while you're in jail they're trying yeah. to help you which you know? is how it should be mm -hmm. you know instead that's... of america where it's just modern day slavery yes no so very much mm -hmm. um so let's recap how many days each of these six spent in solitary oh brother okay albert spent 88 oh erla spent 241 guyan spent 412 <gasps> trigvi Spent 627. Oh, my God. Christian spent 682. Huh. And Saibar oh, <laughs> spent 741 days over two years in solitary confinement. Oh, my God. With his only contact with other human beings being intense, intense interrogations. Oh, he's never going back to society. Mm -mm. That 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 man is not all right. He's not okay. Oh god. Over two years. Like consecutively? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, but it gets worse. No, of course it gets worse. Lights were kept on while they tried to sleep. Oh no. And a guard admitted kind of boasted, honestly, oh. about having held Sivar's head underwater until he confessed. Oh, which is the pinnacle God. of investigation. Also, yeah. yeah, this is. Oh my, yeah. Let's just waterboard him until he tells us what we want. That's a great idea. Yeah, obviously he's yeah. gonna tell the truth. Yeah, of course. Um, this is the trigger suicide warning that I mentioned earlier. Mm. Christian attempted suicide twice while in solitary. Yeah, I don't blame him. No, um, and this is like heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Erla. This is so sad. <laughs> Erla began began to question whether or not she really had a baby at home. Uh, <laughs> like, even saying that now, my stomach sinks. Oh, my God. That's Can horrible. you imagine? Because after Erla was 241 days in solitary confinement, almost a year, better part of a year, without <sighs> seeing anyone, let alone her baby. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, my God. And she... Oh, that's so I know. And the suspects, most notably Christian, were made to reenact crime scenes in an attempt to quote unquote jog their memory. Oh. Um, so, like, they would, like, make Christian, like, strangle a police officer. Like, they would make them reenact oh, these things. Oh, my God. Which is a proven tactic psychologically to trigger false memories. Oh, my God. And oh, also, my God. Who wouldn't remember? 
committing one or two murders. Uh, you know, I think I would remember. <laughs> <laughs> would it show? Would yeah, it show? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. You would remember that. Oh my god. Um. So Guyan, who was Saivar's old teacher, who was the last one to be arrested, right. kept a diary while he was in solitary. Oh no. Which false memory experts have hailed to be one of the best kept examples of false memory syndrome. Holy shit. Um, Dr. Giselle Gujinson, mm -hmm. who was a young detective in Reykjavik at the time of the investigations um, and later became an expert in the field of false memory syndrome. He's also the author of The Psychology of False Confessions, 40 Years of Science and Practice. Right. Um, Dr. Gujinson firmly believes to this day that the six people were not involved at all in the disappearances mm -hmm. and that they truly had no idea what happened. Oh, my God. He said, quote, these individuals had no knowledge of what happened. Mm -hmm. They were just trying to appease the police. They were trying to be cooperative because they knew that if they were not cooperative, they would be given more time in solitary confinement. <sighs> this is how the majority of Icelandic people feel. Uh -huh. um, in the country, most people believe that this case is nothing more than an extreme example of police negligence, abuse, mm -hmm. and miscarriage of justice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. To put it lightly. To put it extremely lightly. Oh, my God. So, in 2018, uh -huh. this is, like, kind of... It's like it's good news, but it's not good news. Mm -hmm. In 2018, Icelandic courts acquitted all six in their involvement in the disappearances of Gumindur and Gurfner. Finally. However, oh no, <laughs> all six had already served their sentences. So they had already like been in jail with quote unquote life sentences, most of them. Oh my god! So like, how, how many how many years were they in jail? Mm, I don't know. It, it, max 20 okay so they'd already been in jail for 20 years <laughs> for two decades and and then the cops are like you know what we'll just we'll just blot that out on your permanent record you can keep the trauma though yeah sorry sorry <laughs> sorry that about that. yeah. that's so awkward oopsie <laughs> sorry um Guyan moved to Denmark to study theology and then moved back to Iceland and became a priest mm -hmm. Albert worked in construction Trigvi worked in a ship factory mm -hmm. Christian had trouble finding and keeping a job following his release, and he was reincarcerated after a domestic abuse charge. He recently died. Oh, jeez. Saivar became an alcoholic mm. and lived in Colorado and Denmark, where he could assume some anonymity mm -hmm. and had two sons. Mm -hmm. He died in 2011. Mm -hmm. Erla, our girl Erla, oh, God. still lives in Iceland. Mm-hmm. And has been extremely public about her experience. Again, she was interviewed throughout this like documentary that I watched that was amazing. Mm -hmm. She is often recognized in Iceland, and it plays a really big toll on her. Wow. Um, and we still don't know what really happened to Guminer and Gurfner. Yeah, I mean, it happened in the seventies. Like any yeah. kind of you know physical evidence at this point is definitely done for. It's done. It's completely done for. Um, Jeez. Guminer, who was the eighteen-year-old. Um, likely wandered off while he was drunk mm -hmm. and became a victim of the elements, mm -hmm. either the January snow or the lava fields that were nearby. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, thanks, Iceland. Yeah, right. <laughs> Seismically active. You love that. According to the Reykjavik grapevine, since 1945, 120 people have disappeared in Iceland without a trace. That's spooky. That's spooky. <laughs> it is spooky. But when you think about... I mean, it's an island. The elements. The yeah. elements. The uh -huh. winters. Mm -hmm. um, and because disappearances are so common, they mm -hmm. often appear in Icelandic uh, legends and folklore. Right. 
Uh, Iceland has huge areas of desolate land and brutal winters mm-hmm. and is surrounded on all sides by water. Mm-hmm. Gerfner, who was the one who um, went to the cafe, said he should have brought a gun, disappeared, his phone, his car was still on. Right, right, right. I don't know what to make of that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, there was probably a criminal element in his disappearance. Right. Obviously. The case was actually reopened recently with new evidence that on the night of his disappearance, two unidentified man men were seen carrying a limp body onto a ship. Oh, wow. But there are a lot of unanswered questions, and after the acquittal of the six, mm-hmm. no one's been charged with anything connected to his disappearance. Wow, yeah. What, what, uh, what year was the case reopened? Uh, 2018. Wow. Like a few years ago, like wow. very recently. that's crazy. Yeah. So you have to wonder, Mm -hmm. and this is where our sociological study comes in, Mm -hmm. if disappearances are so common in Iceland, Mm -hmm. why were the police so insistent on making an arrest relating to these these two cases? Yeah. So, I, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Casey's taking a deep breath, gearing up like, you're not even ready. Let's go. Here comes my PhD (laughs) dissertation. I'm ready. Um. It's the 1970s. It's the early 1970s. There are a lot of changes happening in the outside world, right? Mm. There are hippies in the U.S. There's rock and roll. There are youth (laughs) movements. There's the Vietnam War. Well, I mean, aside from the, you know, Vietnam War. God forbid. God forbid. Long hair? Oh, no. The Beatles? (laughs) Who? (laughs) There's one of them named Ringo. (laughs) I almost spit my drink. Good God. (laughs) They have mustaches. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, in the 1970s through the 1990s, Uh the U.S. saw a, the U.S. saw a spike in violent crime. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like this might've led Icelandic police to become really paranoid and wanting to like nip it in the bud. Oh yeah. You're so right. And there are other examples in like Asian countries. I know in Japan for Mm -hmm. sure of, um, really violent crimes happening after the u.s saw a spike in violent crime and them like calling it like a u.s fever kind of thing oh yeah Yeah. um and there's just like a lot of change happening in the world and Mm -hmm. the world is under a lot of pressure it's really Mm -hmm. intense Mm -hmm. and iceland they kept calling in this documentary is a village it's this place where everyone knows everybody everyone's white Mm -hmm. saivar is an outsider he's half polish so there's like some xenophobia happening. Oh yeah. Um, Erla is a woman, mm-hmm. is a new mother. Mm-hmm. They're young. There's mm-hmm. like some ageism happening there. Like mm-hmm. I think it was just kind of this like really perfect combination of things where when they found these people who are committing crimes and they're scared of crime becoming commonplace, mm-hmm. they just wanted to like wipe it out. Oh, completely. Um, Dr. Gazil Gujinson, who I talked about earlier, the false memory expert, right. said that the police were under intense pressure to solve this case. Mm-hmm. And someone in the documentary Out of Thin Air that I watched called it um, public hysteria oh. and said, quote, mm-hmm. this is like such an interesting quote, said, quote, the big bad world was knocking at our door. That perfectly sums it up. Like chills. Oh my god, yeah, because you go from like I'm just, you know, imagining like like Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, a perfect little hamlet with like these picturesque mountains and mm-hmm. nothing bad ever happens until the big bad wolf shows up, two people go missing and they're like, Oh shit. Yep. 
oh my god. <laughs> and there are these guys, one of them being an outsider, quote-unquote, yeah. who are involved in crime, mm-hmm. who are potentially dangerous, mm-hmm. who are bringing drugs into the country, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, well, we gotta stop it in its tracks. Make an example. Make an example. Mm, oh, wow. So now they're all out of prison, some of them are dead, most of their lives are ruined forever, yeah. they spent the better part of two decades for a crime they didn't do, oh, and years in solitary yeah oh my god um and that's the Reykjavik confessions wow (laughs) holy shit it's a sad one yeah that is that is extremely depressing but really interesting thank you oh my god yeah I mean I didn't know literally anything about this going into it so that was crazy thanks you're welcome the main sources I used outside of like census stuff Mm -hmm. um were BuzzFeed Unsolves um, I love BuzzFeed Unsolved. Oh, me too. Um, BuzzFeed Unsolved did an episode called The Suspicious Case of the Reykjavik Confessions. Um, Kaylin Lois, her A True Crime podcast, she has an episode called Iceland's Reykjavik Confessions. Mm-hmm. And the 2017 documentary, Out of Thin Air. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you, Casey. That was that was really good. Yeah. Oh my welcome. god. I I'm really liking the like unsolved murders mystery thing we've got going on with your cases. That's been really interesting so far. I have a lot more of them that I could pull out of the out of the hat. Out of the hat. Out yeah, of the I bag. didn't know where I was pulling them out of. <laughs> Hopefully nowhere nasty. Yeah. Um anyways. Clean them off a little bit. Oh, I did end up looking up the um the clay sculpture of the guy from the beginning. What's mm-hmm. his name? Um, is it Gurfinder? Gurfinder. Gurfinder. Okay. (laughs) He, (laughs) okay, they did, they kind of did him dirty with this clay sculpture. Unless he looks exactly like this, in which case they did a great job. But Well, we don't know what he looks like, so. (laughs) He literally looks like a Ken doll from the 70s. Yeah, it looks like, even the hair. Like any man. It looks like any man (laughs) from the 70s, yeah. Like, my mom, of course, has a bunch of dolls and stuff from when she was growing up, and, you know, I'm not going to tell a lady's age, but she does have some (laughs) that look very similar to this, like, down to the hair and the nose, like, everything. It's 1974 Ken. But, I mean, it's not a bad sculpture. It's not unflattering. It's just this could be, like, literally any white guy. (laughs) And it never brought up any leads, so I understand why. I fully understand why. Well, I mean, you know, props to the sculptor for trying. Let me tell you. You did a good (laughs) job. The old college try. So what is your case for next week, Lauren? So since um, Gilbert Paul Jordan was... I'm not, well, it was pretty nasty. It was the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm going to be real. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, since uh, Gilbert Paul Jordan was really gross, I'm going to do one that's um, not quite as intense, but it's, it, you know, based on the subject material of our podcast, it's still going to be a little heavy. Um, it's going to be a case study into a woman by the name of Belle Gunnis. And in my little notes app thing I have here, I'll give you a little preview. She is the OG gold digger. So we're going to dive into that next week. <laughs> That's going to be good. I know. I'm excited to tell you about her. She's a crazy lady. <laughs> when I was like obsessed with The Sims 3, <laughs> which, okay, that's a whole nother podcast. But... <laughs> I was going to say, we should case study on you. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> 25 generation family tree. Oh my God. I used to do this thing called the Black Widow Challenge where you would try to marry as many men and then kill them for their money oh my god you're gonna love her i'm gonna love her you're gonna love her i'm gonna relate to her (laughs) anyway um we've now gotten to the point in the podcast where i try to guess lauren's middle name yes 
Um, I know it starts with a B. Mm -hmm. I've tried Brenda. I've tried Bernadette. Yep. I've tried Beverly. Yep. I've tried Beatrice. Yep. (sighs) And we're at this point again where he looks deeply into my eyes and tries to see it. (laughs) Because she looks deeply like a Lauren. Like, Lauren makes sense for you. Thank you. Bella. No. (laughs) Come on. Maybe you'll get it in episode four. Who knows? It probably won't. (laughs) It really probably won't. It's probably something so insane. I mean, I'm not going to tell you what it is, and I made sure that none of my other friends are going to, so I guess you'll just have to guess next time. I hate the power you hold over me. (laughs) I like it. It's kind of fun. (laughs) Well, thank you all for listening. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I hope you're enjoying this as much as we are. We are having so much fun. Yeah, it's been really good. It's been a lot of fun getting to do this podcast with you. I'm having a great time. Yeah. And I currently have a rat, one of Lauren's rats crawling on my leg. (laughs) Liar. (laughs) We will see you next week. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. Magnum. Be on. Bye. Bye.